Welcome to Key Characters. My name is Hal Crawford. So here's an exciting and somewhat chaotic conversation between myself, Katie Drake Bettner and Paul Bettner. The Bettners are the force behind a game called Wildcard. Now, Wildcard is special and the reason it's special will become apparent as you listen. The Bettners have zeroed in on the missing element in online gaming which I believe to be that sense of shared experience that is such an important element of real-world enjoyment. Wildcard was designed from the beginning six years ago to be a spectator sport as well as a game. I need to explain some parts of this conversation. At one point, we talk about the Malay on the Meteor, or the Melee. This was a wildcard tournament held in February 2023 and streamed live with many broadcast bells and whistles, such as live commentary. Paul actually called the match as it was played. Mark Long, CEO of Shrapnel, who I spoke to a few weeks ago, introduced me to Paul and Katie, and we spent a while discussing that connection before we got into the meat of the conversation. Anyway, let's hop into it. I'm uh, Katie Drake Bettner, and co-founder and co-CEO of the Wildcard Alliance. I'm Paul. I'm the founder and CEO, co-founder and co-CEO. Oh, there we go. I like when we both just say we're founder and CEO and then people figure it out. Well, that must mean that they're co-founder and co-CEO. But yes, we started this company, what, 12 years ago now? The parent company is called Playful Studio. Yeah, which is like kind of our production company that we have been using to build beloved IP and games now for over a decade. My own career goes back to Age of Empires. We also worked on Words of Friends together. So there's lots more we could talk about, but yeah, that's me. Okay, so let's take a step back and just can you explain to me in really simple terms what the game is? Wildcard is a hybrid game. It's one of these games that is trying to create a new genre. It's not just a clone of something else. It brings together the aspects of games that we've worked on and the evolution of real-time strategy games from our work in Age of Empires and how RTSs have evolved through MOBAs and auto battlers. We see that's a progression that can continue. And so what we've always been working on, and this is the same core team that worked on Age of Empires, is the same team that's here together with me working on Wildcard today. And our mantra has always been, we're trying to build a game that is as easy to pick up and play as possible so that I can just hand a controller to someone and they start mashing buttons and they're having fun. But then they start realizing that there's something more here. There's strategies, there's depth. And then maybe they spend their whole lifetime trying to master that. And there's still people playing Age 2 today, thanks to the remaster on Steam. Like it's still this wildly popular game. And so what we envisioned was just trying to continue that evolution. And the way that we thought about doing that is let's take the elements of strategy that come from a real-time strategy game and let's fuse them together with some of these other games that we love to play, collectible card games, things like Magic the Gathering and Pokemon, and also the action games that we were all playing at the time. These are like games like Overwatch and just, just our favorite kind of first-person shooter, Call of Duty, CSGO. And we're like, what if we could create a game that had the immediate appeal and action accessibility of one of those games, but also secretly had the depth and strategy of these Age of Empires games? That was in 2017. Turns out that is a really hard thing to do. And like, of course, yeah. So we spent several years desperately trying to get that formula to work. I think uh, the core piece that I that you forgot to say in this one is we realized really at 
that early stage that more people were watching other people play games than were actually playing games, right? And so it was the it was a thing where Paul would say, "Oh, well, more people are watching people play games," and he would pull up like an esports event, and I'd be like, "Why? Like, why would you like?" I can't even tell what they're doing. I just see like flashes and that doesn't make any sense to me. And I come from Texas, which is very sporty kind of space. And I'm like, look, we have sports that have been tweaked to be very watchable. Why is that not what people are designing games towards? Is the ability for somebody like me, whose kids are going to make her sit and watch them play these games, to actually be able to enjoy the gameplay itself. That moment that Katie's describing, by the way, that's when it started to work because we had this idea for this game we wanted to build and we sort of knew what we wanted to experience as gamers. But like we've been building games now on these frontiers of technology with when we started our first iPhone game company and created Words of Friends. We started one of the early VR companies, created Lucky's Tale, whatever. So we sort of become obsessed with building games on these technology frontiers. And we're always looking for that thing that can be magical and special about how we can take the game beyond what video games are today. And so with that idea of the game we're trying to build and the thing that Katie's mentioning, which is this vision of a new way to experience games, which is as a spectator, as a next generation spectator sport, that's when the formula for Wildcard came together. Yeah. And it struck me as I was going through your personal histories that actually reflects what you both bringing to the game, because Katie, you're from film production, that kind of screen world. And Paul, you're from game development. Is that right? It is right. I mean, Paul looked at me when I had, I'd been in film in my early twenties and then left that and was working in mental health and marketing like broadly and business development. And I was headed back into it. And then the pandemic hit and I had a, a company with with Amy Redford called Bet Red Stories and we had some things on our slate and we were like ready to go and the pandemic hit. So of course, obviously that stuff all kind of shut down. And I really have always loved the idea of there being a game that I could enjoy, that I could have a fandom experience for, that that I could relate to other people that are coming into that IP but it needs to be something that I would actually want to watch. Just like these games need to be something that Paul would actually sit down and want to play at the end of the day. And so when Paradigm said, hey, we love the idea that you're doing, Paul and I looked at each other and I just, I called Amy and I was like, I'm going to have to do this because it's an opportunity for us to do what we do together. And we've always been back-to-back working and doing our thing. But this is like a superpower thing that we have where we can speak for each other. We can know what the other, how the other one's going to react to something. And it was just fun. I've watched the Malay on the Meteor production, but I know how much work that production was. I don't think I knew how much work that production was going to be until I had already committed. Hats off to you guys for that because sometimes... Doing stuff on the internet is like throwing a party and you don't know whether anyone's going to come. And I totally you guys put a shed load of work into that thing. So tell me about putting that together and what are the key things that you got to get right? That was an experiment for us. It was my big bet. <laughs> like I was, I was like, this is going to work. Yeah. And trying to see that vision come to light and wondering if it was going to work. Like we yeah. were hoping to elevate the experience of watching the game and the experience for the competitors themselves 
to something that was beyond what you would see in a traditional video game. But we didn't know if it was going to work. And we nope. definitely didn't know how much work it was going to be. But it's, it's Katie's brainchild. Like that event was the first moment that we got a glimpse of what was possible there. And mm. that's what the point was, I think. So pulling that together, I'll say we have a secret weapon. Another person that came from the A-team crew is our VP of Media Marcom, Marianne Marino. And she was an advisor for us and did some contracting work for us when we were coming up with the narrative arc of that from the time that we announced the game until that melee on the meteor. And then she also, it really was her connections, her writer that she brought in to do a lot of the punch-ups that had been a late night TV writer, you know, her kind of sense of knowing where to pull production to do the WBN episodes. She really is phenomenal. Honestly, it's been the part that I've been most interested in with Paul's career. We had pitched Wildcard out as a traditional video game to a bunch of different publishers years ago. And in order to do that, we set it up and I was like, we're going to make a live theater moment experience for the people that are going to come in to see this game. We choreographed who was going to play what, who was going to do what, who was going to come in. We had people coming in and our president, our biz dev guy at the time, Mark Stanley, he had like tickets that he handed out and we had a live theater experience as our pitch. And that has been the thing. I don't direct film. I love to produce or to be in the executive position. I love finding new filmmakers. But if I had chosen a different life path, I would have directed theater. And it's about that immersive creation of a feeling so that somebody can be in the feeling, which is why the audio is really important and why kind of the interplay between characters. If you have a script that script is just written until you have the timing of that. And I'm lucky that Paul is, everything's emotion and happy for him. And so he's great when it comes to shout casting that. And they understood the game, but it's about a feeling. And the whole idea behind this is to create this sense of being there, being together in a collective moment. Yeah, it's fascinating that that's your odyssey and that's your quest, because that is a bigger thing than just gaming because sure. it's actually the thing that's missing from the internet right is that sense yeah. of being being in a place I, I think you know I, I don't think i realize this until this moment but the thing that has been happening for us for katie and i as we've had this opportunity now to work together from these two worlds and bring them together like this and actually have that work it's starting to happen across the industry last of us which i'm sure you enjoyed i loved the game and then i love the more and when you watch the making of what you'll see is that the director of the game and the showrunner of that show mm-hmm. like loved working together like they they formed this tight bond and they respected each other and they spoke each other's language and they, they just that collaboration is what made that show something that was respectful of the game but also just great as a show and i think we've i think katie and i've dreamed about that opportunity for decades since we very first met is for, especially from the world that kate comes from and the world that i come from and Wildcard is the first moment that we're getting to do that together full time. It's the future. And Apple, actually, the other thing that's interesting is that Apple's way of doing kind of advertising for its new platforms really plays into that. So like a website, like ARG style 
that silo, the new series silo, if you look it up, they have a website that looks like you're going to see about buying one of these silo memberships. There was another company that did that with the movie Nope, where you like went in and played like a little mini game somewhere. For this IP, for Wildcard, the real dream is creating an entire ecosystem that all inhabits the same world. Because we talk a lot about metaverses and we talk a lot about different things, but it's not just a place where you walk in and there's a land sale and there's one guy over there doing like a DJ set. Like it's about (laughs) inhabiting a shared world. And we have little kids. And what we saw during the pandemic was that video games specifically allowed them to have that immersive experience with their friends when they were not able to be in the same place. The other thing that we talk about all the time is so many metaverses that we've experienced that have showcased themselves as a metaverse, what they end up being is just a soulless social lobby, a place for people to hang out where there's no reason to be there other than, hey, it's cool technology and we're all hanging out together. And I feel like the only metaverses that are actually going to succeed are going to be the ones that I'm there for a reason. And the reason is what Katie was mentioning is some unique feeling that I want to have in my life. And so I go hang out there because that's why we're there. That's what that feeling is for. And from the beginning for Wildcard, it was the thing that hopefully you experienced watching that melee on the meteor, which is like, should be the feeling of my friends invited me over and we're going to watch the Super Bowl together, or I'm going to some sports bar. We're going to watch the World Cup together. That's the feeling that we don't think video games have fully delivered on and should be able to. I don't know if you guys have seen the stuff that Yuga Labs are doing and the they did that little excursion into their metaverse the other day. Other side. Right? Yeah, other side. And the thing that was a bit of a wake-up call for me was there was, that, there was a lobby where there were about 7,000 people milling about and they just looked like insects. Yep, 100%. I actually said that exactly to Paul when I saw it. I'm like, that does not look fun. It's no. the worst part of a party, like the worst it's, part of it. It's a tech demo, and I get yeah. that. And yeah. it's showcasing the improbable engine, which is the specific tech they're using that actually we investigated too way back in the day. The challenge is when you actually put 7,000 people together just as little avatars, first of all, you have to zoom the camera way back out because mm-hmm. it would just look like this insane crowd. And it's as a game designer, that technology is cool, but it's really hard to solve for. Like, We don't typically have fun in environments where we're just standing around with 7,000 other people unless we have some central thing that we're focused on. That's why concerts do work. That's why when Fortnite brought in musicians and when these other metaverses, concerts can work. One thing I need to get clear, actually, let's just get this clear. What is the blockchain integration in the game? So I just did a demo play test, not even a demo, really, a full play test with another group. I get to do this almost daily. These were... It's like they call themselves like, you know, an alpha DAO, a group of people that are like NFT investors and they're looking for great games and they haven't found them yet. So first their mind was blown because I'm like, I'm not here to present a deck or a trailer. Let's play the game, guys. And so they get in. Oh, my gosh, it's actually a game you could play. Yeah, because we started working on it six years ago. And when they get into the game and they're running around as their champion and they're about to play, I'm like, hold up a second. Look up there. Notice you're standing in an arena and there's a bunch of these players these avatars that are all sitting in the stands notice that they look like pfps that's intentional (laughs) that our desire here is to create an experience but it has been from the beginning that connects competitors together with their fans it's such a missed opportunity that these games that are popular on streaming platforms whether it's league of legends fortnite etc 
there is literally no difference between a game where nobody's watching you and a game that then this happens every day that where 10,000 people are tuned in to watch their favorite streamer. It's invisible to the game. It doesn't create the sense of we're all here together. It's also invisible to the to the streamer's pocketbook, which is a problem. Yeah. The lack of residuals in film, it's a similar thing. It's the continual extraction of the financial impact to the people at the very top and the continual pull away from the people that are actually creating the entertainment and the value. Mm. For Wildcard, Web3 is actually the solution to a problem that we have been struggling with as we've been trying to see this vision come to life. We want to create an experience where the people who are tuning in to watch can actually show up in that experience live, can be a part of that. And ideally, we can create something, as Katie is mentioning, that creates a, an actual connection between those content creators and their fans. We've had this moment in our head from the beginning. What if Wildcard could have that moment that you find in the World Series where like the at the end of the game, one of the winning players signs the baseball and tosses it up into the stands and a fan catches it. What if that could happen in Wildcard? And we actually started building some of the technology for this before I knew what a blockchain was. And then once we discovered, it was like, oh my gosh, Web3 is the technology we need to make that moment come to life. And so for us, that's the answer of why is Wildcard a Web3 game? It's to deliver that. I think Fundamentally, Web3 gives us a new tool to create affiliation between us as a developer, our content creators, and their fans. Yeah. That's, that's where its power is. So there's not going to be any sort of gameplay advantage from buying. No, no, no. No gameplay. That, I think that ruins it. Paul goes all the time into the history. That kind of thought is why he was so anti even yeah, considering this. Because he was like, that doesn't work. Yeah, most of the first ideas that come to people when they think about the application of Web3 and Crypto2 games is like, cool, let's just do that. Let's financialize all these assets that we love. And I'm like, have you not been paying attention to video games for the no, last... No, they haven't. That's the thing. I can pull up any number of articles about Diablo 3 Auction House, about any number of games that have tried to do this. And you can't just do that. That's not how it works. You have these two forces. You have the financial interests and the market forces and then you have these assets and these items that you're designing for fun. And if you just bring those two things and smash them right together, it's a disaster. And that's not something that I'm speculating is a disaster. There is a history of that disaster happening in video games for decades. When we started getting drawn to this opportunity of Wildcard, not just as a competitive game, but as an ecosystem that brought together the competitors and their fans and the people tuning in to spectate, I turned to our team and I said, what if we realized that what the word we're using, which is players, wasn't just the people who installed the game. What if it was all the people who are showing up to enjoy this experience, whether they're tuning in on Twitch, YouTube, whatever, Twitter, whatever it is, if they're tuning in and they, because the reality of it is when I have conversations with those folks, like it's part of the League of Legends audience right now, and I, and I'm like, oh yeah, I love League. And they can tell you all about the meta and they can tell you about all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, but tell me about your competitive record. And like a lot of them are like, I haven't played in a while, but I tune into my favorite streamers and I follow along or whatever. So that's already happening. And I think the opportunity is if we're allowing ourselves to expand that definition of what a player can be, that's how we reach larger audiences. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of pleasure in, in, in watching sport or watching a game. No well, what, one thing that I want to challenge you on is that the game itself has, what does it, it has the underpass and it has yeah, a couple of... Overlane and underlane. Yeah. So how many different lanes are there? There's, 
it depends on how you consider it. I would say there's three lanes. There's the center lane, there's the underpass lane, which connects on both sides. And then there's the fling gate lane where you can send the creatures over the top and they land on the other, on the opponent's side. And, and we actually so have a creature that's going to have, this is the alpha for you. There's mm -hmm. a creature that has one of those gates on its shell. And so yes. there's actually a creature that has that and that can move around and do Wonder it that's coming out. So yeah. one of the things that is going to be tough is that action can be in more than one place. That's not like football. So tell me about solving that problem. <laughs> I will say that we have spent a lot of time on it. I was manually driving the camera during that match. And it's really not that hard for me to focus on the things that are fun and exciting that are happening at any given moment. It turns out they don't overlap that much, at least in terms of the things that matter. Because there are two goals, there can be moments where there's like action happening on both goals. And in that case, it's fun to shift back and forth. We've also built like split screen presentations of that. There's also the, the spectator that goes straight to where the action is happening. That's a spectator camera mode. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We've also been working on an AI driven version of this that is basically like measuring heat that's happening across the map and then choosing where to focus. It's, I mean, there are other sports like this, like uh, Olympics comes to mind, golf comes to mind, where you can have several things happening at once and you need to make a network broadcast call about what you're going to show at that moment. It's a little complicated to run that entirely on your own, but we have been yeah. building those tools. We've realized as we've been building it, it's not just a competitive game. It's also a platform for our content creators to entertain their audiences. And the better that we can make that platform, maybe the more likely they are going to be to use our game to create this wonderful entertainment that they're all working on building mm. all the time. Mm. So one thing, again, as I was watching this, that occurred to me was that there could be a tie-in with broadcast TV. Have you guys thought of that at all? Oh, that's all I think about. For my feeling, TV? yeah. My feeling has always been that, you know, that if you have something that brings enough people together, other people are going to take notice. We already have entire generation of kids who are like, I want to be a streamer. I want to be a broadcaster. Now, the problem, the benefit and the problem with creating what is ostensibly like a new sport is the benefit is we don't have the cadre of managers and agents and attorneys and the NHL and the NBA and the leagues and whatever. That means it's a lot more work for us, but it also means that there's not the like extractive nature of all of those things. As of right now, if you take NBA top shots, like there's a very small profit margin that people can bring to this because there are so many layers that are already taking from that infrastructure. Technology can cut through some of those layers for us. And what we have to then do is find a way to make it really fun for people who would automatically be the commissioner of their friend's fantasy league, make that something that is fun and lucrative for them. The question, is there a broadcast tie-in or a broadcast play? I think it depends on whether or not the broadcasting companies are going to share the profits with anybody. And as of right now, we have not seen that happen. We've seen a consolidation of those things. They're so used to the walled garden business models truly have. And I think really that does create a disruptive opportunity for other platforms to emerge that are willing to operate in more of that Web3 decentralized way where that value is assumed to be distributed rather than assumed to be controlled by a handful of small centralized entities. You were asking earlier, like, you know, the Web3 of Wildcard, 
I, I think that at the highest level, what we're most excited about is we realize that if we're successful in building a great game that has millions of players and is a competitive game like this, like none of this stuff works unless it's a great game. Yeah, so none and all is like this caveat yeah. that is implied, but it's definitely worth saying. But if we succeed at that, what we actually end up with in a traditional web two sense, we end up with two businesses at once. We have the game and the IP, and then we have the competitive ecosystem or the esport, or the, which again, we don't get to define that wildcard is going to be an esport. That's up to our community to decide. We just have to make a great game. But if it does work, traditionally, we would own both those businesses and all that profit and everything else would roll up to us. What we're most excited to do with wildcard is to break those things apart and say, what if that second part is entirely owned by the community? What if the value of all those aspects, broadcast rights, league ownership, team ownership, commission, et cetera, is owned on the blockchain by the community. What if we could do that? We're also really weird capitalists, the two of us in general. So we realize that's not something that a lot of people come into a space like games and say, how can we redistribute wealth? But it is something that we talk about. I just generally observed as a business person and as a technology creator that most companies aren't willing to invent the thing that would put themselves out of business, right? Even There's a few companies that are. Apple's really good at this. They invent product lines that put other product lines completely out of business. There's no more iPods because now there's an iPhone. Nintendo's really good at this. A few companies are, but most companies are like the Titanic. And they just, once they're headed in a direction, they're headed in that direction. And it provides an opportunity for another business to come along and say, you know what? If you guys were willing to carve off this piece of your business and use it to provide more value to your customers, probably all your customers- We wouldn't have an opportunity yeah. anymore. Yeah. But they yeah. won't do that. And, and I think that's part of the opportunity that exists here for us. Tell me about your experience building games, Paul. You were pushing the border of innovation on games at several times. You were the creator of Words with Friends. That was mobile. At that time, that was mobile. Then you've had the VR experience. Now that hasn't been adopted to the extent that mobile has. And now we've got Web3 here. How do we know if Web3 is going to be more like VR or more like mobile? (laughs) We know whether there's 10 times more people playing it next year than there are this year and 10 times the year after that. Ultimately, we need a time machine to answer that question, ideally. But I, what I want to say about this is Having now worked on and built games on multiple disruptive technology frontiers, it's not necessarily possible for us to predict which one of those is going to explode as the next frontier. I I think one of the hardest things in being an entrepreneur is timing. And the opportunity that I think exists, for instance, virtual reality and mixed reality, it's definitely still happening. Just because it hasn't happened yet, it's definitely coming. And when it does happen... Everybody will be making games for that and everybody will be playing games on that and, and we won't be using these little screens anymore. That's going to happen. W- when is that going to happen for Web3? My guess is pretty soon now because this is an incredible thing that I can say to and that we can all actually agree. Is there a great Web3 game yet? A single one? No. And I don't, I'm not out here to bash any. I wouldn't be here having this conversation if it wasn't for Titans like Axie Infinity and great games or great projects that have pioneered what's possible here. But the way I say this is it, once we're done with this podcast, once I'm done with the day of work and I'm going to go sit on my couch and I'm going to go actually just enjoy myself with a game, am I going to pull up a Web3 game? 
No, none of us are. I, yet, I don't say that in a derogatory way. The reason I mention that is what happens when that's not the case? Because it, there's nothing inherent about Web3 that is going to stop a great game from being made. So that moment is coming when finally there is a game that's as good as any of our favorite Web2 games that also just happens to be a Web3 native experience. What's that going to look like? Most of us speculate, I speculate, that once people experience what it is to be playing a game where you're not playing in someone else's walled garden, where you're playing in an open, distributed, decentralized environment where that value you're creating is not being extracted and held by another company, but is actually something that you own and can transact yourself with. As gamers, we won't want to go back to the other thing. Mm -hmm. It will look antiquated and out of date 10 years from now to think about going in and playing a game where you have to leave behind all the things that you got that were valuable in that game when you leave the game. Like that's going to sound ridiculous to gamers 10 years from now. In yeah. My opinion. So guys, tell me about your approach to fear, the fear that people have when you say, okay, sign in with your wallet now. Oh my gosh, we had to create like an educational, we did office hours with our community because I think one of the things is to note is that we, this was the first time we've ever taken BC money. So before this, we have done any kind of raising from like locals. There yeah. are Texas people that have family like offices awesome. and they're investing. And so we have people who just video games alone, they're like, I don't know what you're doing, but I like you. So here you go. And so onboarding them to make it to that place where they can like get a wallet. Sometimes it's like Paul has to go next door to my mom's house to help her with her internet. It's like that only on a huge level. I think one of the things is we don't have as much to lose as other people. We're not EA. We're not Riot. We don't have a bunch of like angry people who already are mad at us because they feel like we're extracting a lot of money from them. So the kickback is not there. But I think the other thing is we know what our motives are here. And at least even if people are getting mad, we'd be like, that's fine. If that's what you think, wait and see. And we'll see who's right in the end, what our motives were and where we're going with this. The other thing is, I just think about the hoops that we as gamers are actually willing to jump through to get to the favorite parts of our games. Oh like God. we will 40 hours into something to get that one item or to have that one experience that we want to have in a video game. The problem is Web3 games up till now have done it, as you said in the beginning, they've been backwards about it. They've been like, Hey, the first experience you're going to have is connect a wallet, buy this asset, and then the game and the fun will happen later. And it's like, what? No, of course, gamers are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, that's not, no, I'm not going to do that. That sounds horrible. But there, if you flip it around and you, and you have somebody who's already having a great time in your game and they're already having a blast and it's super fun. And then there's this journey they can take of connecting a wallet and doing these things that can be more complicated, more advanced. But on the other end of that is something that they really want in a game they're already having fun with. I think that changes the discussion entirely. Okay. Now I want to know about your personal journeys. I know you've got kids. So tell me about how crazy busy your house is. You've got parents working full-time. You've got three kids and you've got animals as well. I am led to believe. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little wild. That is correct. So we have, we have three kids. My parents actually live next door to us. Your parents need to be credits on Wildcard at this point. Yeah. People ask you what you do. What do you say? I say I make video games. I've said that forever. What do you say, Katie? He does. He's always made video games. It's a lot easier, I think, for him. 
You know what? I usually reframe it as what I'm interested in. People love it when you say, oh, yeah, my husband and I have a game company. That's always an easy answer. But I think if somebody's really asking me what I do, I'll say I like to work on ecosystem problems, like larger ecosystem <laughs> problems. If that's geopolitical, if that's in a game world, like it, it's all similar. One, one more thing. What's yeah. next? What's coming up? Because I went to find your roadmap mm-hmm. and your roadmap was all retrospective. Which yes, is probably wise. In my experience is that people never hit their deadlines in this world. Mm-hmm. But so, so what's coming up? What's happening next is seeing the vision for Wildcard that you got a glimpse of in this exhibition back in February, the Melee on the Meteor, which I'm proud to say we had 10,000 people, almost 10,000 people tune in live for that. So we were talking about some of the numbers that you guys had, and we've been quiet about the numbers of people that we had in Wildcard. But it's crazy how much people are actually into engaging with this. But it was just an experiment. It was just a glimpse of that. Our vision now is to see that come to life in increasing ways. The production quality, the experience of people showing up live to actually be in the arena while these tournaments are taking place in Wildcard. Our hope and our dream now is to have that be happening at the same time as we're finishing the game. Because we're in alpha right now and we're going to be heading into beta in a little while. And what Web3 gives us is the opportunity to bring the community along with that journey in a new way that we've never done before. Everybody talks about how Marvel is a certain thing, but the next IP is coming out of games. And as Paul talked about in the beginning, we're seeing that right now. But creating that in a way that allows other people to feed into that is really exciting. One plug I'll say, if you haven't talked to them yet and you're looking at this, like Adamverse, I'm fascinated with what they're doing right now. I've been a huge fan since they very first came out. I love what you were saying about how video games are now the source, are becoming the source of the of the beloved IP in the world. Four years ago, I turned to Katie and I said, this is what's gonna happen. It's gonna be video games that are leading that charge later in our life. And the fact that we are seeing that happen, that we get to be a part of that, that I get to work together with my soulmate on that at the same He's the cheesy one in the relation. But the other thing I wanted to mention is the other exciting, the most exciting thing happening for me right now is more people are getting a chance to play our game. The Wild Pass is the gateway to people now getting the opportunity and the access to play test. Every day I get to sit in on another one of these. I just had one right before this sitting in with people who have never played the game before and they're just expecting as a web three game that like i saw a trailer but everybody's got a trailer then they like pop in the game and they're actually running around and they're like oh my gosh you guys actually have a game it's actually fun getting to have that experience now over the coming weeks and months with more and more people that's what i'm most excited about great katie paul thank Thank you so much we appreciate it thanks Well, it took a while to set up this interview with Paul and Katie. They're busy people, but I found it so enjoyable. Let me just run over a couple of reasons why. First, they're energetic, lovely humans. Second, their combination of game development and film experience means that they have put substance before hype in their development process. They're playing the long game, and on top of that, they're playing an even longer game around content creation and money. Like their friend Mark Long, they're revolutionaries in disguise. Being smart in blockchain gaming is a given. The real question is, what are you going to do with all those brains? 
The Bittners have come up with a very interesting answer to that question. This is Key Characters. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Thank you.